School's out for summer, and Redbox has the video games to keep you entertained with over 40,000 locations nationwide. You can rent and return anywhere. Better yet, you'll get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code SNELL4. So swing by a box in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game is there when you arrive, reserve it online at redbox.com slash games. Offer valid through July 22nd, 2017. Subject to additional terms. Charges apply for additional nights. Payment card required. Getting into video games has never been so easy. Use code Snell 4. The Incomparable. Number 361. July 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I'm here with a fine panel of four wonderful people to break down season 10, or I guess I need to be all British, like series 10 of Doctor Who, which just concluded. You may ask yourself, isn't there enough Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network as a whole? Well, there's never enough, but yes, we do have a couple of Doctor Who themed podcasts, and I just completed a week-by-week Doctor Who flashcast about every episode, but that is not enough. We want to take the big the big view, the big picture, and look at it on the, on the main show as we uh, have for many years now, which is just look back at the season at the whole, what we liked, what are our favorite things, what we didn't like, and where the show goes from here. Joining me to talk about these things are these wonderful people, uh, many of whom I've spent time talking about Doctor Who with over the last few months and years. Glenn Fleischman is here. Hi, Glenn. Hello. I'm in the same basement we talked about Doctor Who in, I think. Your basement is smaller on the inside, strangely (laughs) enough. I don't know how that happened. Uh, Alyssa Frankie is here, who is the co-host of the brand new podcast This Week in Time Travel on this very network with Chip Sutter. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome back or welcome to. Is this your first Incomparable or your second? This is my second. I was here for Wonder Woman first. For Wonder and Woman. And now I'm hearing for Doctor Who. I heard you on that episode, but I wasn't on that episode. That's what it was. It Excellent. made me very sad, but yes. we did have a good time talking about it. Uh, Jean McDonald is also here who is the host of our newest podcast on the Incomparable Network, by the way, the Sestra cast about Orphan Black. Hi, Jean. Hi, Jason. It's great to be here. Excited to talk about Doctor Who. Yeah, we were talking about Doctor Who when we saw each other last. So it's nice (laughs) to be talking to. We're wrapping it up now. And David J. Lore is here because he's contractually obligated to be on every podcast possible. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me do it because I am I am required to kick your arse once in a while. Gauntlet thrown. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay, bring it on. Or the British equivalent of that. So, <laughs> Doctor Who Series 10, we've got Peter Capaldi for one more series. We've got uh, Pearl Mackey as Bill, the new companion, in a in a one-year-only uh, slot, which makes me sad because I thought Bill was great. We have Nardole from the, um, from the Christmas special with River Song from 2015 and the Christmas special in 2016 back for the whole season, which was a little bit of a surprise going in. And uh, there's lots of, uh, lots of adventures of various kinds. But I thought I would start by asking all of you about the cast. Uh, and let's, we'll get to Peter Capaldi in a little bit, but why don't we start with Bill? It is, you know, being a companion in Doctor Who is very important. It's an important job because in many ways, this is the character we relate to. This is how we kind of mark the time. The Doctor, although the actors change, the Doctor is constant. The companion changes, but the companion is kind of our, our human connection. It's a very important part um, we've had uh, recently a uh, with Clara a very long running companion, and she was preceded by Amy, another very long running companion. So now Bill gets a year 
which, I, like I said, I've given away how I feel about Bill. It makes me sad that we only get a year with Bill because I thought she was awesome. But I'm wondering what all of you thought about Pearl Mackey's Bill uh, from from the beginning of the season through to the end. Uh, and, I, and I know that's a lot, but just let's talk about Bill for a little bit first. Alyssa, uh, what's your take on Bill? How did you feel about Bill this season? So I was really excited to have Bill. Um, you know, there's sort of the obvious thing that as a queer woman, I get so little representation on TV that I was like, yes, we have the companion. We have the girl. She's a queer woman. We get to claim her. So that was very exciting. Um, but overall, I thought that she was um, just a really sort of a fantastic character. You know, in her first episode, it's very focused on her. You know, they they called it the pilot and they made it sort of like a pilot episode. So it very much worked like Rose did um, back in 2005, that it was from her perspective and we're getting reintroduced to the doctor. And I thought that was a great way as well to really make us invested in the character so early because we knew basically we were going to get her for a year. There might have been some hopeful speculation, um, but I don't think anyone seriously expected her to stay on um, after Moffat and Capaldi left. Um, and I was hooked from the f- you know, right off. Um, She was just so fascinating. She had uh, a really rich history. We got to see some serious emotion from her. And Pearl Mackey is just a brilliant actress. She can really make you feel everything that Pearl is feeling. That moment where she's looking through all the photographs that the doctor has taken of her mother, I was full out sobbing along with Pearl that entire scene. I think that... For the most part, she was handled well on an individual episode basis. I think that uh, Sarah Dollard in Thin Ice particularly did a good job of defining that relationship that she would have with Peter Capaldi. A little bit adversarial, uh, a little bit like a professor lecturing a student in that the doctor is giving these lectures, but she's not going to be, you know, the empty vessel receiving it. She's going to push back. She's going to argue. She's going to make the doctor really fight for any ground that he has. Um, And she has a very strong moral compass. Um, So that to me is sort of the defining episode of their relationship. I think that Overall, though, it felt a little bit uneven. When I look back at Series 10 as a whole, it feels like I don't really know what the emotional arc is for her, how we're getting from the pilot to the Doctor Falls. You know, we have this arc with Heather um, that it opens with Heather sort of being consumed and kind of almost dead at the end of that first episode and Bill's tempted to join her but pulls back. And then her final episode, she makes the decision she's going to go with Heather. Um, But we don't know exactly what it is that changes from her perspective other than her choices go with Heather um, or be dead as a Cyberman. Heather gives her the option to go back to being a human, but like she goes with Heather initially because that's the only option. But the only emotional arc we see with that really is Bill grabs Heather's hand and says, instead of you showing me the universe I've seen some shit. I'll show you the universe. And that's sort of what it comes down to me is like Bill's whole arc over series 10 is, boy, I have seen some shit in the universe. 
I like the um, the fact that she is like you mentioned it um, is a it's a it's a professor student relationship, but it's not. She's a very promising student who has been noticed by the professor here, which is the doctor, and that's the relationship. So it's 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 very much a you are a very promising person. I want to show you what you know, the world that I live in and I want you to learn. And he, he, he expects her to learn as she goes and she, you know, and she gives as good as she gets. And I, I really love that about, about Bill. Um, Jean, what do you think about Bill? Well, I loved her uh, from the first moment, as Alyssa said, um, just uh, that first scene in the office, she does give as good as she gets. She's not there to, She's not a supplicant to the doctor. And when he starts to be a little bit um, demeaning to her, she says, okay, see you later. And he's the one who has to keep her from running off um, uh, because he he really needs somebody like her, as he knows, uh, to keep him on his toes. Uh, So I really liked that about her. I liked that she felt way more like a normal person than than previous companions. I mean, I've been thinking about it, obviously, a lot because it's Doctor Who and the season's over. Yeah. And I I think that uh, her she was really quite down to earth. She had a mother who was dead and a stepmother who was alive. Um, Clara didn't have anything like that. Amy didn't have anything like that. Um, and she treated the doctor like a normal 20-something person would, I think, where uh, I'm thinking about in Knock Knock, where he's, um, it's the Haunted House episode, right. which what maybe was not anybody's favorite episode this season, but definitely where he's trying to horn in on what's going on with Bill and all of her housemates. And she's like, hey, when I'm with you, I'm I'm with you and I, I'm learning from you. But then I have this other life and you're not part of it. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Glenn, what are your thoughts on Bill? Yeah, I have like a meta thought because, you know, that's my what I like to do. Sure. Um, which is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, exactly. I, I was wary about Bill because the first clip they showed um, before the season, uh, the series, I thought, oh, are they going to have this sort of are they making her a sass talking sidekick? You know, because it felt a little bit like she was just kind of stringing them along. And I thought, oh, I'm concerned. And I thought she was terrific. I think Pearl Mackey did a wonderful job with the role. And here's my meta comment is I think this season as a whole, and particularly with Bill, I think uh, the character was great. The acting was uh, spot on. I, I don't know what Pearl Mackey's like. This is obviously not Pearl Mackey, right? She's acting. But uh, she inhabited Bill in a way that made me forget that she's anything but Bill, which is great. And especially in television, it's hard to always achieve that. I don't feel like the writing of the show this season – uh, served how rich the characters were. Um, it felt like there was a lot of desultory stuff. So Bill was given some attributes and, uh, the actress really went with them. And I feel like there was development in certain episodes that gave her more life, but I don't feel. I'll agree with Alyssa about the arc. I don't feel like there was an emotional arc. What is Bill after one season? Maybe we didn't have enough time with her. Um, but she, she, 
came in with a strong sense of self and maybe she didn't need to find that. I mean, that's that thing where uh, I always think about in um, Turn Left where Donna says, I'm nothing special. And the doctor says, oh, you're brilliant. And it's like he likes to discover people and kind of ennoble, sorry, Donna Noble, ennoble them mm. by helping reveal their inner self that maybe they don't recognize themselves. I think Bill knew she had something. She just couldn't figure out how to get from A to B and she was feeling a little dispirited. Uh, and But she was still going to lectures, right? He spotted her because she was uh, at his lectures. So I think better character than overall writing. And I think she could have been better served for how well um, the character was fleshed out and acted. How about that? All right, David, what about you? Pretty much agree with everybody. Uh, I loved her. Um, I, I kind of wish we had had more women writing this series just to get a little bit more perspective different perspectives than than a bunch of men but for you know for that (laughs) they didn't do too badly i thought um i do as much as i loved amy and as much as i loved clara i think they were both around a little bit too long and as a result you know we only get one series with bill i kind of i kind of wanted more i see why he set it up this way to have a a beginning and an ending that tied together and say, okay, there's, there's where the character goes at the end and it ties into the first episode, but I'd rather have had more time. Um, I really liked their interactions. I really liked the trio. In fact, to my surprise, sometimes I think that doctor who is caught and this may change with Chris Chibnall taking over as the showrunner for the next season. But I feel like the doctor who is caught sometimes between old and new methods of doing television, where if I look at this season, we talk about a story arc for bill and you know, it's there's sort of one and there's sort of one for all the other characters too but so much of the season is still really standalone episodes with a few scenes or lines of dialogue kind of dropped in to give you the sense of a story arc and and doctor has sort of been doing this since the beginning i mean the first season with russell t davis it was just like the word bad wolf and it wasn't really even a, a, a an arc it was just a breadcrumb that was right. paid off at the end but to greater or lesser degrees it's still sort of structured as the freelance writers writing standalone episodes and then the showrunner kind of does a polish and drops some stuff in to with in this season it was with missy and there was sort of bill and her her mother and and we got a little bit of that but the rumor is that Chris Chibnall is at least threatened to do something more like a modern TV writer's room where a bunch of people are together and they're put they're 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 plotting the whole season in one go. And I'm not sure whether that will will feel as much like oh. Doctor Who in an episodic oh, way. No. Well, we'll see. It's just it's just it's just a rumor. But but this is the trade off I think you get is is if you've got a bunch of standalones, it is harder to get that through line to be solid because you are kind Kind of just sticking in some dialogue or a scene in order to drag the story along, uh, and and I felt that at several points, and I enjoyed those scenes. Sometimes I enjoyed those scenes more than the whole episode, but you could tell it was like this is the scene Stephen Moffat wrote and inserted it as the last scene in the story, so we could push his vault storyline along. Well, and and the thing the thing I really enjoyed this year, as opposed to the last series, um, I I appreciate the ambition in doing all the two part things in the previous series. I didn't like most of them. I didn't, you know, I enjoyed Capaldi, of course, but I was just sort of like, well, hmm. and, and I was glad to see this series was back to having 
more standalone things. I kind of like not having this intense, you know, through through line. It works in some shows. It worked great in Buffy. It works. Uh, Burn Notice used to do that where they would drop in details for the arc and then have these standalone things. And then it got more and more serialized and it got worse when it got serialized. Um, because after a while you just, I don't want to watch it anymore because it's too much work. And I like, I like the loose, you know, we'll, we'll carry this storyline a little bit. We'll give you these details, but you could just drop in and watch an episode if you want. This is just a haunted house episode. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I think one of the things though, is uh, even in the Russell T Davies years, when you have, you know, standalones and little bit of drop-ins, there's still a clear emotional arc for the doctor and the companions. You know, Rose in the beginning of her series, she builds up to that final moment in the episodes where she realizes what the doctor is, is deciding to stay and fight for something. You know, she becomes passionate, engaged, and not just sort of living her life day to day, you know, chips in the shop and, you know, not thinking about anything bigger than herself. Uh, Martha has the arc of discovering her self-worth, particularly outside of the doctor. Donna you know, becomes a better, more empathetic human. Even, you know, Amy and Clara have very strong arcs. Amy is sort of, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. She's trying to figure out how she can be the woman who can have it all of have her adventures (laughs) with the doctor and be married. Clara is the woman who's becoming the doctor. I don't know what that arc is for for Bill. You know, I think Moffat and Davies have both had a firm hand. You had me more with uh, with Davis because I think his he's just a much more Ill- emotionally literate writer than I think yeah. Stephen Moffat struggles with emotional arcs. And I could I could turn it around and say Amy's arc is really that she's the one who was left behind and that and, and yeah. she's reacting to that. And that Clara's arc is that she's the impossible girl and she's a plot point a little bit more than she has an emotional arc. I don't disagree with you. Oh, I there, kind of there, erased that series from my memory. Yeah, there <laughs> are lines there, but but like Davis was was way better at that than Moffat has been. And and you're right. And then you you build this short amount of time and what her her story is sort of like she loves her mom that's her touchstone even though her, she's lost her mom and she's she's smart and um forceful enough to get the doctor to notice her but you know that's kind of what we've got about bill this episode of the incomparable is brought to you in part by casper an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price it's made of supportive memory foams it's an award-winning sleep surface it's got what they like to call just the right sink and just the right bounce and the amazing thing is you can try it for a hundred nights risk-free in your house so if you don't love it they'll pick it up and refund you everything there's no risk here at all you need to sleep on it you need to sleep on it a lot you need to know how your back feels when you wake up the next morning how how you slept did you sleep comfortably or not the only way you can do that is by sleeping on the mattress there's free shipping and returns of course to the u.s and canada and there are more than twenty thousand reviews online about the mattress and guess what the average 4.8 stars out of five Amazing. I have a Casper mattress. I've had it for a couple of years. It's incredibly comfortable, so much better than my old mattress. I love it. I love sleeping on it on hot nights, on cold nights. It's uh, it's super comfortable. My back doesn't ache in the morning. Cannot recommend it enough. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Snell and using offer code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Casper, thanks for sponsoring The Incomparable. I wanted to drop in just one thing that I'd forgotten to mention earlier about Bill, um, which doesn't tie in directly with this, but I, I, I do want to mention it is that I was trying to, and especially as you're listing all the other companions, uh, I can't think of another companion besides Clara who dated and the Danny Pink thing was such a, 
weird, I felt contrived setup that they had to get together. I have all these feelings about that. But um, the fact that, that Bill saw the doctor as um, older and her, not her orientation, she was not interested in him in the least. And a lot of the companions have had complicated relationships, um, whether it was friendship or not. It was very complicated in some romantic element. And the fact that you had a character who was completely romantically disattached and generationally, she pushed that, right? So her yeah. dates were pretty damn funny. I mean, I was laughing <laughs> when yeah. she gets a chance, she gets the simulation date and she's like, wait a minute. And he's like, you should call her. Then she gets the real date. And I was like, oh, come on, poor Bill. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> well, and maybe the thing I like best about Bill is that she didn't have a clever, you know, girl who waited impossible girl thing or puzzle to figure out. She was 10 she years was just... in the bottom of the ship. I'm oh, sorry. Well, no, 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 no. But that's, that's, not, that's not a puzzle she that waited. lasts for 12 episodes or three series. It's just a oh, girl in the right. fireplace. But and, it's, right. and there's no nickname for her, right? Yeah. And there's no cutesy thing that they call her every episode drives you nuts. Bill persists. In fact, David, you, you could make... You could make the argument that um, Moffat had the opportunity to do that with Bill and step back from it because there's yes. he goes back in time and obviously like befriends Bill's mother in order to get those pictures of her and all of that, right? And that could have been a whole thing, right? About, oh, but you know my mother and tell me about her and all that. And then suddenly it's the doctor's the secret secret man who knew her mother. And, and the, the show, it might have been interesting, but the show's like, you know... No, we we don't need to do that. <laughs> We're not going to do that. And uh, we don't need to do Pearl, that. Pearl Mackey, I just want to say, from a performance standpoint, I think she did a lot uh, to inhabit this part too. Mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I like like you. I I don't know. It, all all of us, everybody I've talked to was has seemed to have a fairly negative reaction to that teaser scene that they that they that they aired in advance. Oh, I loved it. Did really? you like it? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't like it. I thought it was kind of weird and weirdly acted. And they said, no, it'll be in the episode. And it turns out they reshot the whole thing. And I don't know. <laughs> uh, for me, I don't know what happened. But like, I felt like that was Pearl Mackey. Like, I didn't like her performance. And I was like, oh, what are, what are we getting here? And then I and then the final version of the season, it's like, she brings so much to that part. She's so great. I want to see what she does next. I, I just, I really loved her whole performance. And strangely enough, in that last episode where she has to be kind of, you know, we're seeing her self-image because she's been converted into a Cyberman. Um, the... Uh, I, I, I felt like that, that gave her free reign because we were, we were not seeing physical bill at that point. We were seeing Bill's heart and she, she lets it all out on screen, um, positive, negative, it's all there. And it was a, a really great performance. So I thought, I thought she was, uh, she was quite a find and really elevated the show with Peter Capaldi. Sure. But I think she did a, a spectacular job as a performer. One thing, yeah, that, um, you mentioned about the the teaser and I remember watching it and not liking it and now I can't even remember what was in it because there's Daleks, uh, you know, explosions. it took over. <laughs> it, a corridor. The the uh, but what the other thing you know that I didn't like is you know like the the season ten artwork that they put out has like um, Bill hanging off the TARDIS and like the doctors pulling her in. And I always, when you know, until the show actually came on, I always looked at that and I thought, is she going to be some kind of ditz? Like she can't yeah. even oh. stay in the TARDIS, you know? Huh. And and he's always re- rescuing her. She doesn't look anything like the Bill that we um, come to love after the first, you know, five minutes that she's on the show. That's a good point. I kind of liked the little teaser because it very much reminded me of um, 
Donna and Ace, their reactions with the doctor. And, you know, I think Pearl sure. brought a lot more to it later. But the banter was, you know, I I honestly didn't think they were going to use it in an episode. And I actually think it kind of fits weirdly in the episode where they slotted it in, which made me dislike it yes. more in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But it was, you know, it was a cutesy way to introduce, like, this would be the companion and the doctor in a random scenario. And she's sort of deflating, you know, mm-hmm. the, the mythos of Doctor. Doctor Who, um, and kind of adding a new perspective on it. You know, is there a Dalek with two suckers who needs really hacked off? Like, I laughed really loud at that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, look, Stephen Moffat shows his uh, stripes as a comedy writer. He's a comedy writer. In fact, I just watched an interview with him post the finale, and uh, and he said he was working on the Christmas special, and uh, and Peter Capaldi had asked for some more explosions, and he said, All right. he said, well, if we've got it in the budget, I guess I'll find a place where we can put in explosions and write some jokes around it. And and I, I laughed at that because it's like there's Stephen Moffat, right? Is like you provide the explosions, I'll put some jokes around it, and then I've got a thing. He's a comedy writer, and he thinks I think his plots are structured in terms of comedy and farce and things like that, and always have been. Oh, absolutely! And, and that was that that Dalek thing was a I think actually a funny comedy sketch of Doctor Who. It just was like, is this going to be in the episode? And when they came time to shoot it, they they actually changed some of the dialogue and they reshot the yeah. scene so it, it fit better. But you're right; it was sort of like the origin of it was we want a, a standalone drop-in thing. Can we talk about Nardole? Because this is the thing that like going into the season, I think a lot of people even missed that that we were going to have this character that he was going to be there and he was going to be there throughout and he was there throughout with Matt Lucas in this as this uh you know extra extra person in the uh, in the TARDIS crew uh serving a particular role especially at the beginning of kind of being the one person who knows all of the doctor's lies and sees through them and is trying to keep him <laughs> honest which is a funny uh funny fun thing he's got this new companion who doesn't know all of his lies and then he's got Nardole who who is like stay on task guard the vault stop lying i know that you I know, you know, you need to stay here on Earth. You made a vow. You made a promise. And, uh, and I, I was surprised at how, at how Nardole turned out because I really didn't even know how they were going to use him and whether he was going to be brief comic relief or if he was going to go away. Uh, but he actually turned out to be a lot of fun. Glenn, what did you think about Nardole? Oh, I think he was a tin dog. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> sure. He's the third one in the box. He's, he's, he's the yeah. man in Havana. <laughs> he was exposition, or I'm sorry, he was comic relief, right? Yes, exposition and comic relief, absolutely. That was they're, so beautiful. I know you guys were talking about that on the uh, the recap for that. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, he was very funny. I think he um, he uh, found a spot for himself in terms of what that character was. Again, like the acting a little better than the writing for it, because as we know, in some episodes he barely appears. He's kind of a, a functional. Uh, I, I feel like as older I'm getting, I feel like I watch uh, television and. And episodes, you're like, this is the one where they move the pieces around of the map because they need to get people to the right spot, like a Shakespeare play where you kill people, then you have to have other people take them off stage because they can't leave otherwise. There's no curtain. And I feel like Nardal was a little bit of the, okay, we need to get somebody over to the vault. We need to have a person who shows up here then. We need to have somebody there. This is the guy dragging the bodies around the stage to make sure certain things happen. And it was very amusing. And he finally got a little bit of an emotional element in the, you know, really in the last episode. Uh, and I think he played it uh, for all its, Worth. I think there was an emotional moment with there, but he's so, he, you know, his character was intend, intended to be uh, glib and lighthearted, but also I, I think it's because we don't find out until well into the series that he was, you know, um, sent by River Song, that you get that connection right. back. I think it's good they didn't plant that early. That would have been heavy handed. Um, 
So I don't know. I, I think I liked him fine. I felt the character didn't have uh, that much weight, but neither did the character need that much weight. And when you need somebody to, you know, type a lot of stuff into a computer really fast, he's a good second person <laughs> after the doctor. Uh, I don't actively hate him. I just... <laughs> Progress. More of a passive hate. I, I'm sort of indifferent to his existence. Tolerate. Like Matt Lucas is, he's a lovely person, and he, you know, he's charming. He's nice, but I don't know what it was about this character that was so compelling. They decided that he deserved to be around for another season. So per- that was my reaction. Is like, why? I have a theory, oh. and and it's actually oh. the the part of it of him that I like the most in the season. Okay. Is, is at the beginning of the season when we think the art the arc is going to be what's in the vault, which turns out Missy's in the vault. Missy is the actual arc. The vault is kind of a MacGuffin, or it's it's a placeholder so that we get that reveal. But there, I really like Nardole, as I said, because in that event, you know, the Doctor is sort of swept up in doing what he does, which is find a, a promising young person and make her his you know companion, basically his student. And Nardole is the one who who keeps telling him no you have a mission here you need to stay on task i know what's going on i don't you know i don't believe your stories old man basically right and i love that as a role i love that there is somebody present outside of the doctor companion dynamic to call him on his bs i think it's really delightful yeah and then when it's all revealed he's kind of then he really is just the tin dog and computer expert and he kind of doesn't have anything to do in fact to the point where he he almost other than that i think they liked matt lucas and wanted to have him around he could have just walked off in a huff and said well fine if you're going to travel then i'm out of here if you're going to let missy out of the box i'm out of here and instead they kind of kept him around but after that i felt he was mm, again fun comic relief but kind of totally superfluous compared to uh, you know i thought it was cute in the doctor falls when he was around for it but like it i it, I felt that he was mostly unnecessary for these this series and kind of what bothered me more is that he took a lot of time away from bill he took an opportunity away from bill to be that role sure. which the companions have been that role and it bothered me particularly in the doctor falls because you know nardole gets uh really you know gets a lot of time for his departure and it's time that probably could have been spent elsewhere particularly on bill in her departure so for me i'm like i don't actively hate him i'm sort of indifferent to him the only reason i'm bothered by him is that i think he's unnecessary and he takes time away from characters i'd rather be watching i have to say i've never been a fan of matt lucas so when I saw him in the first place in, in the one Christmas special, I was like, okay, well, he's just in one Christmas special. And then he was back. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, oh, he's going to be in the whole series, is he? <laughs> okay. Um, but I, and I enjoyed him all right in, in the, in Dr. Mysterio, but it was like, all right, well, let's see where this is going. And much to my surprise, I loved him. I, I want more. Well, I want more of both of them. Together with the doctor, you know, it's sort of like Rory and Amy were there too long and Clara and, and Danny Pink was just, oh, it's a companion and her boyfriend again. Like, well, that's OK. And finally, you know, there's a different arc and mystery there. But eh. whereas this was a totally different uh, dynamic and I wanted to see more of that. I loved having someone calling the doctor out and someone that the doctor could give as good as he got too. 
um, where he didn't feel he had to be nice, you know, or, or gentle because it's a, it's a companion or something. It's, no, here's someone he can, he can be mean to. So, so I, I kind of wanted more of both of them. Let's talk about Michelle Gomez because Missy is in a whole lot of this season again, as she was, especially her first season. Um, and so we get a whole lot. The whole idea here, uh, the story arc turns to be quite surprisingly that the doctor is trying to teach Missy how to be more like the doctor and be good. And Michelle Gomez gets to play that throughout this, the, the series. And I guess you could maybe argue that she has the clearest story arc of all the characters in yes, this season. absolutely. True. And so, th- th- Glenn, what do you think of Michelle Gomez? Oh, I unadulterated complete love for uh everything to do with her from the actress to i i think she had the best um writing consistently she was given yes good things to do and say they were meaningful often or they were just i mean she michelle gomez is so fantastic i think she upstages peter capaldi because he has to be a little bit of a scold he has to be a little more serious he's supposed to be the adult he's grandpa you know this is the series in which Doctor, the doctor was a little grandpa. People kept calling him that over and over. You know, I was just, uh, I'd missed knock knock. I just actually caught up with that one episode, uh, cause I heard it wasn't so great in the canon. And I realized like this is do- the doctor's kind of older, right? Getting a little thin. And, uh, he, um, uh, she's the fun one, right? And so but even so, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, she, she, she is wonderful about playing cruelty in a nonchalant way that you almost fall into while realizing how awful she's being. John Sim plays cruelty with this incredible glee, but you don't. <laughs> join in with him and she her you're like well maybe like no 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 she just killed that person this is not (laughs) funny this is not fun this is awful but how come i find the way in which she so relishes what she's doing enjoyable so um i thought she's great i think we totally agree that she had a uh, she had a real arc um and i thought the last i thought the fact that it wasn't this yes i've gone over all the way or no it was all an act the fact that there was nuance in those last two episodes made the whole thing so worthwhile more than any other part of the series like as an arc i loved her too i mean since the season eight um as she appeared you know she just she's just riveting you couldn't stop watching her 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 acting and her costume just uh was <laughs> now, don't get tired of that that she's a sonic Mary poppins parasol sonic. <laughs> the sonic parasol right <laughs> She was, um, as I thought this this series, this season was really good to see her in a whole lot of different lights and um, especially wrapping it up at the end uh, with such a, will, what will happen, what will happen at the very end. I think it made sense. Um, I, I thought, well, what would have happened if she went back you know, to help the doctor, somehow she would still have to let him down. So it doesn't, um, it didn't ultimately surprise me that she didn't manage to, to split up with her, her, her ex, her (laughs) former self. Um, And uh, I liked, I just liked, yeah, she had so many little moments there, especially in the uh, lie of the land when she was uh, when they were coming to her to ask her for help with the monks and just the power that she held and the way she, she was that, and that was the, the episode where you realize like she might be going cold turkey from being bad, but 
will she really be good? That's that's pretty hard to see. That's her Hannibal Lecter scene that she has inside yes. the vault that they have with her. Yeah. David? Well, I'm I'm on record in multiple episodes saying I really didn't like her in that first series. Um and and wasn't all that crazy about her in the last series. I thought she did a great job with what she was given. I loved her as an actress. Uh, I just didn't like where the character was going. I loved the Sonic Parasol. I thought that was great. Um, this series, I loved her. And, and that retroactively made the rest of it worthwhile. Because this was fascinating. This was a story about the Master or Missy that we hadn't seen before. And I really liked that. And you could say there was some setup. Like, I'm thinking about... Um, some of the stuff uh, back in um, oh, what's the, what was the three part end of the David Tennant last uh, of, last of the, the time, last Lords, of the time Lords, yeah. The, yeah. the thing about when they the, the the common recollections they have about their childhood and the mythos that was built up in recent series about their connection and then what happened how the master was broken how the Time Lords intentionally broke him John Sims doesn't get his master uh, escapes he doesn't get to do the redemption Missy is the redemption for right. all of the wrong that was done to him for how he was turned into a weapon. Um, she gets to have some of that arc. And I think it's a payoff of a multiple series. One reason why the character is so, um, you know, enjoyable and acceptable. And, and her glee is different from his, which it's, I mean, it's a deeper, richer, uh, it's a more mature, uh, kind of glee, which is amusing. Uh, and and you know it's interesting to play all of their ages against each other as actors as as these ridiculously old time lords um but the whole grandpa thing throughout was sort of i i think a little bit of foreshadowing which we'll get to that later well i was thinking that while watching knock knock and she's talking about grandpa and i'm like i'm like you didn't call her susan but huh I thought that this was uh, a pretty interesting arc um, and really let Michelle Gomez chew the scenery, which, you know, I could just watch her do mm. anything. <laughs> so uh, this was pretty great to watch. I liked that this arc, you know, it's it's a little bit about the Master's redemption, but Michelle Gomez and Missy were not really going to give the Doctor much leeway. You know, they were going to spend the entire series – puncturing his idea of what it means to be good, challenging his morality. And it's really a two-way street that they have to argue over what the definition of good is, whether giving in to sentimentality is actually the right and good thing to do in a situation, um, and how the doctor kind of has a history of defining good as being whatever he wants to do in that moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So I thought that she was a really interesting challenge to that. I wasn't quite as fond of her Series 8 arc, even though I really liked her um, in that series. Um, I thought that this was sort of a redo of that arc in a bit of a better way, that it's not just the it's not just Missy trying to be friends with the doctor again for not really a well-specified reason. You know, it's they're stuck in a situation where they have to work together to a certain extent, that they have to challenge each other, that they have to come to sort of a mutual understanding of what it means to be good. Um, and her whole interaction with John Sim was just delicious. <laughs> like everything about that was 
really spectacular because they play off each other in very interesting ways. You know, John Sim is a, you know, a lot more of the angrier version. You know, Missy is sort of aloof and above all of it. Um, you know, she she is very casual about her evilness. You know, she's just, oh, that person's bothering me. I think I'll kill them. Can we have coffee now? And John Sim's master is just, I will kill everybody that crosses me and then I will keep killing all day because you've set off my temper. Um, so they really had that an interesting dynamic going back and forth. And just how poetic is it that the final conflict that the master is in is just the two of them arguing about whether or not gonna, they're going to stand with the doctor and they both shoot and stab each other in the back. Like, that's a very, very poetic meta end to the mm. master. Though I don't actually believe this is the end of the master no, of because they not. always bring the oh, master no. back. No. <laughs> I have complex Missy survived headcanon, by the way. You just asked me about it uh, later. But um, Ooh, after this is over, tell me. But don't we all? Can I insert one quick oh, comment, which is just also I was thinking this is the point at which um, the doctor and the master have both beaten the Time Lords. They've met, the doctor has now beaten the Time Lords over and over again in these new series, right? He's had to, to smack them down and he's, has the upper hand that started even before the beginning of, um, the Eccleston period, um, that he made those decisions. And that puts him more in the master's camp. They're more alike than they ever have been in the previous series. The um, mm. thing that I like about uh, so I don't I wasn't happy with Missy's ending only be- when I watched it only because I had I, I well first off I like her too much uh, to to have I don't want her to go but there's also this fact that I was so taken by the idea that the master and you can hear me rant about it on one of the Doctor Who Flashcast <laughs> episodes um, <laughs> the idea that the master. Uh, instead of being the mustache swirling villain is now a character who is doing is the like the doctor says the person who's most like him in the universe and is going to try to be like the doctor but who has a different morality who has a different judgment of what it means to be good like Alyssa said the doctor's definition is basically what the doctor does is what's right (laughs) and Missy (laughs) in that in that Hannibal Lecter scene um, Missy challenges him on that and 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 because Missy's solution to the problem of the monks invading the earth is to kill Bill at which point it's solved right and he's like no we're not going to do that this is why you're not you, you know you're not all the way there yet but i love the idea that in the end perhaps the master would be out there in the universe somewhere trying to do good but in the way that the doctor wouldn't approve of because that seems to me like a more interesting point of conflict and a more modern point of conflict than just having a oh, doctor i will defeat you i have an evil plan which seems kind of simplistic and boring and we uh, come back to what davros said too you know in the in the crucible davros was you know pointed out that the doctor turns all of his friends into weapons and that remains true it remains true mm-hmm. and it's a, a thing that i think the writers have, have struggled with trying to use as an element and resolve because if he's the good man then why does everyone around him get killed, mutilated, destroyed, um, blow things up, uh, sacrifice huh. themselves? It's a TV and, show. And, and, but, and, and, yeah, yeah. Right, yes. <laughs> and, and there's there's that great line in the series where he says, that's that's my problem. I think like a warrior. Yeah. Right. So, okay, Peter Capaldi, we're there. We should talk about it. This is his last <laughs> season. Oh. Um, <laughs> I want more. I, oh, man, tell me about Bastards. it. Bastards. Tell me about it. I really was hoping we would get it, but 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 three years seems to be the the standard amount now. Peter Capaldi, I think what's really interesting is if you go back and look at his first episodes, the Doctor under you know Peter Capaldi has had this story arc where when he starts out with his jacket with you know the red coat on the inside, the the all of that 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 it's almost John Pertwee esque. He's got this: Am I a good man? He's got the like a real identity crisis. The second series, he's got the hoodie, 
and he's um he and he's like playing his guitar and a lot and has his sunglasses and is very dr disco and then here he's the university professor um so three different aspects in the three different series and and i i see progress it's like he wonders if he's a good mm-hmm. man he get, becomes sort of like settled in in who he is and then he kind of maybe overreaches in trying to be not just a bill's teacher but missy's ref- former um just i just would throw that out there as i think it's really interesting if you watch the whole three years now that we've got the three years of peter capaldi in there um i don't know what there is to say but basically like if you have comments about peter capaldi and presumably how great he is right right you can feel let him out now now now's a good time let's get him out (laughs) i want to start because uh we're almost the same age and when they announced peter capaldi I thought, oh, first of all, I only knew him vaguely from from Torchwood ep- oh. uh, spinoff. Uh, I mean, the Torchwood Children of Earth. If you've never watched that, it's that could be my DJ name. That was one of the scariest things yeah. I've ever it's watched. It's dark. It's dark. And, uh, and Capaldi is great in it, but he's no Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> and so, so he, um, I was surprised, and I also felt like, deep down inside, like, well, he's a little old to be the doctor, even though um, he's, we're the same age. And I I just have completely turned around on this. I'm here to stick up for the 50 plus club mm-hmm. now and say, wow, I've been looking for a model of like, who's, who, who my age, in my age group, actor wise, is, is my ideal type. And he's it. I mean, he's, especially this season, he was really it. So that's just total fangirlism um, in terms of uh, how much, I, how attractive I thought he was as as a character and as a person of of age. How far how far we've come. Yeah, Peter Capaldi yes. was fifty five when he started in the role. I'll just point out that the first Doctor who. May have some, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. The first Doctor, William Hartnell, when he started in Doctor Who, 55 years old. So the old man really? Doctor, okay. who was the first Doctor, yeah. same age as Peter Capaldi. But with the worried about when he got cast, worried about Peter Capaldi, is like, so what did he do? Sunglasses, hoodie, electric guitar. guitar. <laughs> Just like, wow. I'm wow. hip. I'm cool. He's cool. So, yes, I do think he he's, he he's now my favorite Doctor of the new new doctor who and uh, the speeches um, and i'm sorry he's oh, gonna yeah. leave and i yeah. wish if i had to go back to college if he could have been a professor like the lecture that he gave <laughs> oh, oh sign me up <laughs> i would just i would do what bill did i'd just go audit his class mm-hmm. till eternity so yes yeah, he was he was great and i love the other doctors in their own ways but he's now my favorite what else? More Capaldi love. Get it out. Yeah, I mean, I I think I made my position clear. <laughs> I you know I just I love him. I love his speaking patterns. I love his weird line readings, um, and and I love the fact that in my head I always hear him as his character from the thick of it too. So I add a whole layer of cursing mm-hmm. as I watch the show a second time <laughs> through. But yeah, yeah, his facility with speeches, and I mean. Uh, and we'll get to it. I was not crazy about the finale, but it exists just for that speech where he he basically gives his mission statement, why he does what he does, which is the answer to am I a good man, um, which is why that had to be in his last real series episode. 
Uh, and, and he just, I, again, I, I've said this before. I don't really cry at things a lot. I had tears in my eyes through that speech. That was the only thing in the finale that brought me to tears, but wow. Wow. And just him ending with, because it's kind. Yep. It's just kind. It was like, oh. <laughs> Which, by the way, is why Missy's ending was, uh, despite me not liking it, it's the right one. Because the whole point is she does it. She makes a sacrifice with nobody watching. Right. Yeah. And makes right. that decision to go back to the doctor, which leads to her demise, question mark, uh, uh, <laughs> with nobody around. That's the whole point. She does it for no reward just because it's the right thing to do. And that comes from that speech. What what a great mission statement for Doctor Who in general, that speech yes. in that last episode is. Yeah. And given by yeah. him. Among the many great speeches of his tenure, and there are many, obviously, there, Stephen Moffat's well aware of who his actor is. He's like, I'm going to give him a speech. <laughs> I can I can do this now. Yeah. I love you, Matt Smith, but now I can do this. Well, I, I was thinking of an evolution, uh, Peter Capaldi, but also his, do, his the doctor he portrays. I mean, he also inhabited... Um, like, I mean, this is the thing. I think we had a lot of great um, inhabitation in this series of um, me forgetting... Uh, often while watching, getting engrossed in it, and Capaldi is so true to what the doctor was, I stopped thinking about it even as, you know, pantomime or as, um, horror or whatever they're trying to do sometimes. It's a little broad. Um, I think he just settled into the role. So, you know, he's, he's wearing the suit better and better and it becomes him. Um, I was thinking though, in terms of the doctor's arc that the 10th doctor becomes, you know, Time Lord triumphant. He's, he's there too long and he finally has to make a selfless act. And, and he, he is witness. Wilfred, you know, witnesses and it's for this, this humble person as a newspaper sales, you know, a kiosk runner or whatever. And he, he makes the sacrifice of his life because of that. And then you get this kind of goofy 11th doctor in contrast almost. And I think the day the doctor even talked about that as a thing, why are you so ridiculous? Well, it's because of what you did, right? So the 12th doctor comes at this with a very different, he has different baggage. And I thought Capaldi played the role more alien than many doctor or many actors have the doctor that he just, he seemed a little weirder rooted, angrier in some ways, but like less concerned about the niceties. And so um, I was thinking particularly in uh, in Thin Ice, when the child goes beneath the ice and um, and uh, Bill's like, we need to save him. And he's just kind of like, nope, it's gone. It's like, that seemed very undoctor-like. But then he rejoins. It's like, look, we have to move on. If I didn't move on, you think how many billions of people that would be dead now because I couldn't move on. And I thought, wow, that's such a different take on the doctor's whole approach to um, saving a life or sacrificing himself for a life. It's like, nope, that kid's dead and gone. I can't do anything. About it. I know I can't do anything about that for whatever assumption. And that shaped my impression that he was uh, at some level a little crueler than the others. And he needed a little more redemption too. I think the, the end of it winds up being his redemption at the end of this long period. Um, he has to be out in the wilderness. I mean, Jason, I think you're talking about on the Flashcast about, uh, you know, we wind up with a doctor, like in Time of the Doctor, uh, protecting a village, Cybermen show up, right. kind of doing his last stand. And I think there's a little bit of that, like um, uh, this doctor has reached the end of, he, he knows he's near the end of his time for whatever reason uh, within this context of the story. Um, but, uh, you know, when Capaldi started out, I wasn't sure about him. And, and uh, I, I had some feelings because I felt like I wasn't sure he was kind no, yeah, kind enough i wasn't sure he was the right fit and then i saw 
somewhere in one of the early episodes, his crazy, crazy smile. And I thought, oh, there's that Tom Baker smile. <laughs> that face opens up so wide, you think the bottom half of his head is going to come off. And I have to say by the end, uh, I mean, this was true. I noticed in um, Heaven Sent, there were times when I thought, especially at the end, that I was listening to Tom Baker. I was just rewatching an episode of uh, uh, rewatching Dr. Falls. I turned away from the screen and I'm thinking, these are some of the cadences Tom Baker used in his speaking. <laughs> I felt like he'd actually almost become that doctor with a very different take, but they're very... I wondered yeah. if it was He's deliberate. eating jelly babies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you notice his Matt Smith? He does a Matt Smith impression in The Doctor Falls that's amazing. Like mm-hmm. When he says, when the doctor was me, and he has like the arm wiggle thing that Matt Smith does. <laughs> yes. He like does it yes. and he nails it. It's amazing. Just it's in passing, but it's there. Alyssa, do you want to take some time to talk about Peter Capaldi? Yeah. You know, I was a little bit <laughs> torn about him when he first came because he, you know, I thought that they were leaning so hard into being the opposite of Matt Smith, that they had sort of missed the mark, that he was not just, you know, someone who didn't care um, or someone who was a bit alien. He was downright mean at times, um, which, you know, concerned me. Um, But I think that they really found a better way to write that arc. And they found... um, a sort of a good groove for him. And Peter found a really good groove that he starts off, you know, as the doctor who, you know, has to have Clara around because she's his carer. You know, she cares so he doesn't have to. And, he, you know, he does care. He just kind of has a hard time expressing it and showing it. Um, and you get to series eight and he starts to relax a little bit. You know, he gets into the hoodie and the T-shirt and carrying around the guitar. He tries out the red velvet jacket, which is just such a very traditional Doctor Who thing to do. And you get to this series, and the thing I thought overwhelmingly is this Doctor feels tired to me. You know, he feels exhausted by the fights that he keeps fighting, um, that he's got, you know, his best friend slash enemy in a vault. And this seems sort of like an unwinnable exercise to try to make her good. And he's also trapped, you know, he's not going anywhere and seeing fun things, you know, he's sort of just stagnant in this one place. And he gets to go out a little bit with Bill, but he still seems just tired by all the challenges that he's facing. And we get to his finale episode here. And this is a doctor who is much more confident and firm in his identity now. He cares. He cares deeply about the people and the places that he comes across. And he's just acting out of kindness. You know, he's not concerned with grand moral philosophical debates about, am I a good man anymore? It just simply comes down to, is this the kind thing to do? Okay, it is. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to commit myself wholeheartedly to do that. Um, And that, I think, is sort of the defining way that I do eventually view Peter Capaldi. And and it's almost a complete 180 to seeing this character who was so mean, it bothered me. And now he's just filled with so much kindness and caring that it's moving to watch him. And, you know, it really defines the man, too. You know, Peter Capaldi has been one of the most involved and kind and thoughtful doctors that we've had. You know, he really cares about the role and what it means to people and what it means to fans and particularly young fans. You know, I 
will weep just as hard seeing him meet with a kid on the street during filming as I will to some of his most moving scenes on TV. So I think it's a very fitting send off for him that his grand statement at the end is the people that come up against me will just keep losing every single time. I will commit to being kind no matter what the situation is that I'm in. And I'm just really going to miss him. <laughs> so we've spent an hour and not talked about the episodes, which is fine. I again will point you to This Week in Time Travel and the Doctor Who Flashcast, both of which cover every single episode. But I would like to go around. And now I, I, I didn't prompt you this because I do this. I, I, I spring things on, on you all. I am going to go around and ask everybody what their favorite episode of the season is. And then, yes, I'm going to ask you. we'll go around again i'll ask you for your least favorite episode you don't have to say a lot about it but but you gotta you gotta you gotta burn one you gotta throw one on the bonfire at the end but let's start with the favorite favorite episode of the uh of the series glenn you have a favorite um i'll pick a weird one because i'm a weirdo um i'll pick i don't know anyone else (laughs) is gonna pick this extremists i um uh, I, I was going to pick that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not a draft. It's not a draft. Everybody can pick it. I uh, actually had a catch up. I got behind because of um, I'm letterpress printing a book and that apparently takes a lot of time. Mm. So I was a little behind in my Doctor Who watching. And uh, so I kind of binged a bunch uh, a week or two ago. Um, and it was great because I got to get through some of the, like, the three-parter essentially. And I thought Extremist, it was so much fun. It was kind of this – Dan Brown. It was like, we're going to do like Indiana Jones and Dan Brown and, um, the Pope show, you know, people, Pope showing up in Bill's apartment and, and, um, and then the resolution for me, I actually found it really upsetting and wonderful. Like I was actually shocked. I didn't see it coming. I was trying, mm. you know, I'm trying my best. Like there's things when I watch um, Twin Peaks, I try to disconnect my mind so I can watch it and let it wash over me and not pretend to ascribe any meaning to it. Usually that's, that's my technique for that. For Doctor Who, it's a puzzle. That's part of the game. You're trying to understand and reason and, and figure it out and um, could not get what was going on, but I was fascinated by all the things, especially the thing in the Large Hadron Collider, where they're like, "Oh my God, they know some. What do they know? What is going on?" <laughs> and then, like, "Oh, that is actually it." Make it, I felt like it was a very clever idea and um, well realized. And just the doctor going, "Aha! You made the simulation." too good i always win even when i'm gone and i was like oh you know more or less it was great um it did remind me of uh and there's a lot of science fiction stories obviously about uh things happening inside of other things but um uh, just the idea. <laughs> sorry, I know that sounds ridiculous. Simulation. Uh, sorry, super, wow. super weird. <laughs> super weird. Uh, things right. that happened inside things of other things. Happening inside of other things. Like Simulations Who, really. nested inside of other nested. But wheels within thought, wheels. I thought they handled this particularly well, and I really thought it was kind of a romp. Um, some of the other episodes uh, were, um, you know, Empress of Mars would be number two, but I won't talk about it because it's not my my topic. But <laughs> all right. Alyssa, you gotta you have a favorite, or I, I guess favorites yes. if you if you must. Yes, go ahead. Thin Ice, uh, far and away for me, was the best episode of the season. I think that Sarah Dollar did a really good job of defining the relationship 
between Bill and the doctor. I thought that she really gave an opportunity um, for both of them to stand out uh, and have really fantastic moments. Um, we got to see the doctor punch an apple, which, you know, that's always well appreciated in my book. Um, and it really brought in some political commentary in a great way that wasn't preachy um, and really just hit to the core of the matter um, with regards to representation of people of color on uh, drama and television shows. So I just all around thought it was a triumph of an episode uh, that was neat, well put together, great plot, wonderful character dynamics that were being explored there. Um, and giant fish living in the Thames, like that's that's good enough of a kind of uh, – urban fantasy story for me i'm there for it all right gene what about you favorite i'm gonna go with world enough and time which is weird to take the first part of a two-parter um but i watching that without knowing what was going to come next it was just so fascinating from a sci-fi point of view the idea of this 400 mile long spaceship and what the problem was and the doctor figuring it out the puzzle of why what happened to the people who went down to the other end of the spaceship um and finding out how the black hole would um would change the the relative passage of time from one end of the spaceship to the other and what kind of problems that would cause so separate from even the cybermen um thread or anything else. I really liked that that part of it. I found it just fascinating. But I also liked, even though it was not a good times for Bill in that episode, it definitely, I liked Bill and Razor together. And I was completely uh, taken aback to discover Razor was the master at the end, even though I knew he was going to be in there somewhere, but my brain just repressed it. And I thought, this is great. Bill has like a different kind of friend now and they can hang yeah. out and watch this super slow-mo TV show and make tea. And yeah, they're watching Doctor it, Who, just very, very slowly. <laughs> quite, quite literally, yeah. Very slow Doctor... Uh, and, and then one of the best uh, bits, I think, of the whole series is Missy coming out of the TARDIS and saying, I'm Doctor Who, mm. and these are my disposables. <laughs> so, and, and him going, I'm, and, and I'm Doctor Who. It's yeah. not your name. Uh, it's kind of growing on me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So... Um, I think, um, you know, there's a case to be made. Thin Ice would have been up there also in um, my favorites. But that one, I found myself like most fascinated watching it mm. and couldn't wait for the resolution. David? Well, see, it's a good thing this isn't a draft because uh, in terms of a full episode, it would be hard for me to choose between Extremis and Thin Ice. I think Extremis was just beautiful from a plotting standpoint and the way it, it circles back and completes at the very end of the episode, you realize, oh, that's what he was reading at the very beginning. Aha. That was beautifully crafted. Uh, but Thin Ice uh, was maybe the best character episode. And I, I love Sarah Dollard's writing. I love her banter between them. Uh, even even more than just the, the fact that it defined the characters so well and the, and the relationship so well. Uh, and then just from a nifty sci-fi hook for something, I really liked the setup for World Enough in Time uh, with with the ship and the event horizon and the, the time dilation. Uh, that's a, a really interesting 
setup. I'm being very uh, clear in how I phrase it. The setup, not the episode, the setup. I, uh, well, I'm going to say World Enough in Time is my favorite from the season two. I think it's uh, weird and dark and has some great concepts in it. Uh, it's not perfect, but it has a lot of things that I really love in Doctor Who. I, I do love, as Gene said, I love Bill's uh, time downstairs where she's waiting for the doctor and she's made a friend and boy, that doesn't go well in the end, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's nice in the moment. I love how meta it is that they're watch, drinking tea and watching the doctor on a TV on a black and white TV set. Essentially that is amazing. <laughs> um, and the fact that, uh, that it's, yeah, it's John Sim. I didn't caught into that until way too late as well. Um, and some of the dialogue, the, the joke about the tea, would you like the, the good tea or the bad tea, you know, I just have to pick and prepare yourself for the horror that is to come. What do you mean? Well, mostly the, the tea. <laughs> it's just, it's <laughs> so British. Again, again, Stephen Moffat, comedy writer. Um, so I like that one a lot. I also did like Extremists and I thought it played fair with its uh, fake out ending. Um, yes. And I'll put a little bit of a shout out for Oxygen, Jamie Matheson. I thought that was kind of a fun monster episode with the, the animated spacesuits and the... Yeah, and, it was and a all great that. concept. That, that, there was a lot of fun stuff there too, so honorable mention i liked most of the season most of the series i thought was more consistent than it's been in quite a while Hmm. even episodes that weren't great had really great moments and great hooks and concepts i mean i'm not a fan of frank cutrell boyce episodes i liked the setup for that i liked the hook for that yeah it just had a bad ending but it was a great setup. sort of like his last one (laughs) (laughs) same thing empress of mars i'll I'll come back to it just because we're talking about that the monster they did some good monster episodes and empress of mars it had such a lovely feeling of something that was from a different time and um just i mean the victorian soldiers and the the costumes and the sort of the empress chewing the scenery practically to literally and but Hmm. here's the thing at the end of that episode this is where i feel like the show can get to true emotional honesty when the deserter offers his service and she takes or uh, offers his life and she takes his service i burst into tears Mm. i was so shocked Mm. and surprised i didn't see exactly what was coming and i thought they handled it with an incredible amount of um of uh you know of a genuineness about it and i just oh, it just got me and so i had a number of moments this season where i would just i was suddenly shocked by um how you know what just happened and it it took my breath away and that's that's nice it's hard to achieve that in a show where you know the character so well whole that's the that's a whole lot of classic doctor who homage going on in empress of mars too. Yeah. that is very definitely a love letter by mark gatiss to the classic series knowing that this is probably his last go at doctor who for a while um okay let's let's bring out your dead uh i know it's tough but we gotta we gotta put some on the fire um the 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 low points of the season gotta do it um glenn start us off oh gosh well you know knock knock i put off watching to last so i just watched it before recording this in fact not long ago and it was it actually wasn't as bad as i thought because i was told it was a really bad episode but That's foreshadowing by the way who told glenn that hmm stay tuned oh. <laughs> <laughs> i actually want to say that uh the lie of the land is a low point for me because I think the episode is not bad, but the fact that it practically recapitulates one of the episodes with Martha um, in in so many ways, um, 
I mean, not completely, but I felt like there was some retreading this season where it felt like you guys really have are you, you know, you folks who are the showrunners and and run the show have seen all the Doctor Who episodes, yeah, at right. least the recent ones, and you know we've seen them too. These aren't this this show is meant both for they they're trying to get newcomers in, but there's a huge audience of people. Like, why so obviously retread a plot that uh, that has so much in common um, with what we already know? You've seen Last of the Time Lords, right? You've all we've seen, seen Last. Right? You've seen <laughs> I mean, the fact is, how often does the master get trapped in the bottom of a ship that can't go anywhere? Um, how you know he's yeah. he's not good about escaping things. I think it's the um, low point. I think Lie of the Land, although it's not my least favorite episode, I think it has the low point of the whole season, which is the regeneration fake out. Yeah, um, yes. yeah. It's just mean. It's, whole scene. it's just mean, and it's cruel, and yeah. it's not necessary. It's and the doctor has faked his own death and made Bill shoot him, and he's laughing about it. Oh, it just was just not the honest. wrong. Can, so, can I bring wrong. out as part of my dead? Can I bring out my displeasure with how with the end of episode twelve, or is that a later thing? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, okay. So here's my thing. I realize I'm, I watched the end of it, and I'm thinking. Only a super observer like us viewers know what happened to most of the people. Bill doesn't know the doctor survives. The doctor doesn't know Bill survived. The doctor doesn't know that, you know, and this is, but this is part of it. And then you brought up Jason, the whole no reward, you know, no witnesses, no, like this is, it has to be done. And so all of these people did a thing without, um, so that's the positive construction of that. I thought it was cruel. Like it's one thing if nobody knows or everybody knows. The fact is that they showed us as the viewer to give us a resolution. It's okay. Bill had a, magic uh you know a, a manic pilot magic girlfriend was it manic pixie uh yeah something uh, like that whatever you call manic it manic pilot so, dream girl manic, 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 manic pilot up. dream girl that's it, <laughs> that's it. Show up and <laughs> solves all her problems so we don't have to feel bad about the doctor but so all these things happen we know missy turned out all right she, we know that she kills the mat the earlier incarnation so he's not gonna be able to go do more harm uh we know the children get away we know that nardal has this lovely life on a middle of a ship probably for a while unless he figures how to get them away um but none but only us super observers know it turns out okay and i I wasn't sure if that was. I guess Bill knows, uh, right? That's about it. Bill, Bill knows a bunch. Of, well, Bill knows that the doctor isn't dead when she leaves him, but he's sort of dead, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. Okay, to him she next. gives him her, her magic oil drops, but well, I can't magic believe I just oil. said that. But that's it's, it's in there. <laughs> anyway, so that's my disappointment. Is at right. the end is that the viewers get uh, satisfaction resolution unless you actually put yourself in the heads of the characters in which they've mm. all lost something significant, and maybe that is actually intentional it plays into the christmas episode with the doctor so yeah Alyssa, you have a you have a thumbs down episode oh yeah um ah. that for me would be quite literal with a thumbs down emoji and very angry emoji faces with smile ah. uh i thought that smile for the most part was a good if not stellar episode it was gorgeous it had an interesting idea at the heart of it had uh really great performances um i think that it was a massive letdown with the resolution and not only was it a letdown um it's one of the few episodes of doctor who that actually made me feel terrible at the end like (laughs) physically viscerally i felt awful about myself um and I think it's a big failing is that it's very cavalier and careless with how it handles grief. And I've had two major deaths in my family, uh, one of them that occurred literally within weeks before this episode happened. And I was just sort of at the end of this going, you've just tore apart and handled my grief in a really kind of awful way. You know, it's 
rare that I think an episode of Doctor Who kind of does a fair amount of sort of, it almost felt like deliberate harm, like didn't particularly care that they'd driven everyone through these feelings about grief and loss and what it means to care for and lose people that you love. And then it just ends with, you know, an emoji bot with a money symbol in its eyes going, I can charge these people rent. Like it was just a really, really bad ending for me. So it's, it's one of those, I've, it's a very uneven episode, and I have to throw it away entirely for its resolution. I find, I, I think you make great points. I find that the things that I am angriest the most about are not the ones that are kind of losers from start to finish. Oftentimes, the most intense feelings I have is when something seems like it's doing things right and then goes oh, completely yeah. off the rails because yeah. it just makes you furious. That's why I'm so. That's why I got so mad about Man of Steel. Everybody is like, I really like the first half of Man of Steel, <laughs> and then it just goes completely off Out the rails. Of left field, and, I, and, and then I, I ended Fair up enough. despising it. Right, and Smile is like that because I think the first thirty minutes of Smile is actually kind of amazing. The mood it yep. sets, and then. <laughs> It just drew me in and it got me so involved and I was really invested in it and I loved it. I was enjoying it. And then it felt like getting like hit upside the head, like someone offered you an ice cream cone and then punched you in the face. Like it was really disappointing. In addition to grief being the thing that kills everybody, um, let's also add in, it it, it felt to me like the obligatory Doctor Who ending. Like literally, we have a contractual obligation to wrap up everything in the next five minutes with a few explosions. And uh, it's yeah, I, I feel like it was the series tendency, te- worst tendencies to wrap it up. Like, oh, and now there's a central core and there's a thing you can press and magic things happen and there's a joke. Magic and, buttons. And then it's over. And yeah, or, yeah. Ooh, you're making, see, now you're making me angry about Smile. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put it on the fire, let it go. Oh, it's on the bonfire. Gene? Well, I think I mentioned in the beginning, knock, knock, not, not my favorite um, and not like smile i agree with with what's been said i i thought this is awesome the opening of it was really cool and scary and eerie um i also like that you know the thing the doctor said about bill that was so interesting when he says why she caught his attention is that when you don't understand something you smile and i thought oh they're like kind of playing the smile theme but then yes they stomped on it in a big way and it wasn't about smiling at all so um but knock knock i was looking forward to because david suchet was the the cameo or the guest star on it and um i thought that was going to turn out to be more interesting than it was but literally putting this on the fire and all those those people who turned into wood like and the whole wood thing it'll all go up nope Nope, and the bugs. Nope, nope. bugs. They don't do well with. Uh, they should not have episodes in which people turn into wood or there are wood creatures. Uh, thinking of that Christmas special. I think it's time for Glenn's revelation of who told him the knock knock was no good because that was me, Glenn, when I visited you. Um, <laughs> what? My God, he was behind the I wall. Was behind all the time. It was him all along. And I'm, I'm with Gene. Um, knock knock didn't. It felt like a Scooby Doo episode. Um, I know everybody was excited about David Suchet being in it, and I actually saw somebody today who said that they liked his performance in it. I found it completely generic, and I mean, he's literally a Scooby-Doo villain in this. Like, yeah. like uh, who else could yeah. it be? It's him. Oh, I'm the evil landlord. And I just think it was a waste of everybody's time. I like Bill's relationship with the Doctor. This is, this is the thing. Yeah. Even in bad episodes, look, Bill and the Doctor 
actor had good dialogue that obviously work went into those performances and the the dialogue for those characters and 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 there are even in the low points of the season the character stuff with bill and the doctor pulls me through but um i i have no time for knock knock it, oh my God. it, it, it was nonsensical <laughs> and dumb and a scooby-doo episode but here's and we the thing the better. opportunity they missed is they did an everybody lives thing at the end which was good because i thought poor bill everybody around her keeps getting turned into alien oil or running off being frightened off by the pope the pope frightens them off the head of the un eaten by bugs one that'd be fair the pope frightening people off that's it's true that's yeah, so, that so everybody lives the, yeah. the thing they missed was i thought they should have restored the previous, the previous 20 yeah. years wouldn't people, that have been hilarious been like, oh, if people from the 80s yep. showed well, up in the house you know? <laughs> david the bonfire is crackling but there's room for one more episode on it on the fire I mean, you've you've already thrown all the wooden people and the bugs on the fire, yeah. so that's good. It's kindling. It's kindling. Um, so I don't I don't have to. Again, I know it's not a draft, but I don't have to do that one. Um, and the lie of the land, uh, I did not think that whole thing really needed to be a three parter. Uh, we yeah. could have had another interesting story instead. Um, and and there was very little in that that did anything. I think for there me. was cost saving involved. They found three similar episodes and realized they could use the same monster in three episodes. So they <laughs> Can I point out one thing very quickly, which is just the bit where at the end of Live the Land, they're like, "How many monks are there anyway?" It's like, I think there's only like twelve. Like, they, <laughs> right? And they actually say that, and I thought that cracked me up. What? Yeah. And and so I mean those those were the and and you know Frank Cottrell voice. Oh come on. Stop it. That that was the one where Smile was the one where my wife walked out of the room and went, okay, I'm going to go in here and do stuff. And at the end of it, the 15-year-old just went, I said, what did you think? And he went, poop emoji. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's, you know, I've raised a glib TV critic. This is great. I, you know, it's hard to choose between all of those and, and The Doctor Falls, even though I love things in The Doctor Falls, too. But The Doctor Falls is just the A-team visits the star lost. It's like, Come bit. on, you had a great setup. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the Doctor Falls is the worst episode of the season by by a no, long shot, but no. it is a it is a major step down from the episode that sets it up. Well, it's also you have Heaven yeah. Sent and Hell Bent last season, which are I've watched right. Heaven Sent like eight times now. I've lost track. Only eight. And this pair, I mean, World Enough in Time was was a good start, and then it's like oh, I love the director, want to see it. Yeah. Uh, just you know, is a hard, hard big shoes to fill. But, I liked it better uh, the second time watching it, but I realized the second time watching it, I wasn't going to be let down by the by the plot choices that were made, and I could just listen to the dialogue <laughs> and think about the the characters and where they ended up, which made me like it that part of it more. But I had gotten through my right. disappointment about the the fact. Sometimes I think Stephen Moffat's in. Um, instincts work against him where he wanted to do something very different for part two because he did want to ha- want to have the doctor saving a, a bunch of people small scale like what happened with matt smith and so he had this huge setup and then has this kind of small finish and i, I appreciate that instinct and sometimes it works for him but in the doctor falls i felt like um it was probably the wrong way to go like it felt it felt like a part one that it was almost like a different writer had to figure out how to resolve part one in part two which which i have said that many times about moffat his his multi-part things sometimes feel like two different writers who didn't even communicate yep. right he like the ones around the 50th anniversary totally different I think he writers. takes pride in that but sometimes it's just infuriating yeah. sometimes so. it works sometimes it's very it doesn't disconcerting yeah. so so yeah. maybe maybe the doctor falls is my most favorite of the four episodes i didn't like 
but I love things in Setting it. Setting a high bar. And I loved the last moment, but I, I, hopefully we will get to that. Well, we're almost out of time, but we can we have to leave a little bit of room as the bonfire. Everybody make your s'mores. We're going to roast them over the bonfire of bad episodes, and we're going to talk about Christmas to come. Um, the Doctor Falls ends with the first Doctor appearing, um, possibly in the middle of his last story before he regenerates i think there's oh, that's my theory i think there's an, a suggest given that that yep. was with mundasi and cybermen and it was at antarctica and they're in a snowy location and he's talking about changing it sounds like maybe that's what's going on here and of course stephen moffat would pull one like that out of the out of the hat one last time before he goes and there's so much william hartnell um kind of references in in, in peter capaldi's whole tenure and this season especially, that the rumors that, that they were going to use David Bradley as the first Doctor after David Bradley played William Hartnell in An Adventure in Space and Time, um, uh, it, you know, it made sense that that was where we were leading and that's where we're going. So in the end, what we get is a regeneration that has started in the, in the Doctor Falls. He's shot by a Cyberman. He sort of fights it off. He's shot a couple more times later in the episode. It's very clear that he's regenerating and the Doctor is doing, um, sort of refusing, saying he doesn't want to change. What's the point of that? Uh, he wants to be, remain himself. He seems to prefer dying to regenerating and he is confronted with his first self, perhaps before his, the very first regeneration and i don't know what happens in the christmas special but i am i am really intrigued because this feels a little bit like the final exam or the thesis paper or something from stephen moffat who is a lifelong fan and has spent five years writing doctor who to or six years writing doctor who right to uh, make his final sort of like tweaks to the timeline and the canon and all the things that he wants to do that he has to get out of his system because he's never probably going to write again. Like, that's what the Christmas special is going to be. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the fact that the death blow has already been given because yeah. I hate it when, yes. they, when the doctor has to die on Christmas Day because it's a bummer. And instead, this is going to undoubtedly be the story of the doctor deciding to go on living, which will be an uplifting <laughs> thing for Christmas. Yay! So, I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm looking forward to for Christmas. And the first doctor reminding him that it's okay to change, even though yeah. he didn't really want to change either. Or be reminded that the core of his personality remains the same. His decency remains the same from the first is probably right. Right. Well, right. I was fascinated by that line when he said, I can't keep being somebody else. And I feel like the Christmas episode is going yes. to explain that in full because I didn't quite get it. A lot of different ways to read it, but it felt like a teaser. It felt yes. like sort of going back to the original because he says that right. line, which is from the first doctor in the five doctors. I'm the doctor, the original, you might say. And so I think it's going to be an interesting look back into what is sort of the core of the doctor, who was the original doctor, um, and are they that fundamentally different? You know, one doctor is older and has more experience and is more mature than the other doctor, um, but is the core of their personality still the same? Um Although I've got my own little theory about uh, why Moffat um, is bringing back the first Doctor and not just as a you know parting gift to Peter Capaldi. He loves messing with the timeline. Yeah. Uh, he also is a completionist. And, you know, he it, partly with the John Hurt Doctor showed a 
well, with the entire 50th anniversary, he did uh, Paul McGann's regeneration and then he, as far as he could, did John Hurt's regeneration um, into Christopher Eccleston. My personal theory is he's doing this because they've lost most of the first Doctor's regeneration and they're going to recreate the first Doctor's regeneration Mm -hmm. because Moffat wants to do that. Oh. Yep, that's I'm um, right there with you. So my theory is because you hear the first doctor in the background saying the same thing that uh, the twelfth doctor is saying of no, I don't want to change. That he's already started his regeneration um, because there is a little bit of the moment at the end of the uh, fourth part um, where the doctor is out on the ice um, and Ben and Polly lose sight of him. Um, so my thought is, um, this is he wanders off and goes on an adventure with the Twelfth Doctor and then gets dropped off back in his TARDIS, um, where Ben and Polly walk in. And also, I'm really hoping that they do something as a cameo for Ben and Polly, like something. I just, mm. I need something mm-hmm. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and what that means is that the, the Christmas special is not just about uh, the Twelfth Doctor deciding to go on, but it's also about the Twelfth Doctor showing the First Doctor that he has oh. more to do, yeah. and that the regeneration is yes. going to be okay, and that there's more uh, for him to live for. So it is Stephen Moffat kind of reaching all the way back to the very beginning, um, and having the, you know something that was not even called regeneration at that point; it was just a renewal. Um, they had just invented it because they needed to replace the actor, and making it a, like like uh, like Alyssa said, rounding out the lore. Of Doctor Who and the and that storyline, yeah. And Peter Capaldi, the twelfth Doctor, and saying, "Oh, by the way, start the calculations. We need to uh, dematerialize Gallifrey." Also, right, right, exactly, right. There, there, there is a there is a rumor that one of the things that they'll do in the Christmas special is it, it's actually Peter Capaldi right before he regenerates. One of the things he does is fly in for the 50th basically and save Gallifrey and then go away. We'll see. There's a lot of fan service that could happen. Cool. How much of it will happen? Oh, yeah. Who knows? But, um, I, and I'll point out again, the first doctor parallels new regeneration cycle granted at the end of Matt Smith's last episode. I felt all along and especially given the ages, right? That, that Stephen Moffat's viewed Peter Capaldi's doctor as the new first doctor. And so here we are right. with the yeah. old first doctor, the original and, right. and a sort of the, the, the new first who's about to hand it off to, to, the, to a, basically a new second. Um, what what is that uh, when when you get those two guys together? I have one one question. I didn't realize you could stop a regeneration by putting your hands in the in snow. the snow. Well, it yeah. cools it off. Yeah. It totally <laughs> so, cools it off. Sure. Yeah. So it's 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 much more physical than I realized. Your hands are literally on fire, so you shove them in the yeah, snow. I guess and that puts it out. It's it's very important though. Don't eat the regeneration snow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see in. Uh, in December, we have to wait, but that's okay. I'm okay to wait till December. You know why? Because then I'm going to have to say goodbye to Peter, Peter Capaldi. I don't want to do it. So I'll wait. Yep. Nope. 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 I know. Not happening. Not, not, not happening. I know. La, 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 Fake la, la, news. I'm still in denial. <laughs> the, that's that's going to be the big reveal. The big reveal is going to be Chris Chibnall is going to say, it's Peter Capaldi. He's staying. He's the, he's the new doctor. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, again, I will commend you if you'd like to hear more uh, Doctor Who talk. This Week in Time Travel with Alyssa and Chip is a great thing to listen to. You can listen to those TV flashcasts. And of course, Erica, who couldn't be here because she's feeling a little under the weather, and her compatriots at Verity do a wonderful job talking about Doctor Who. You should check those out. Even in these lean times when there's not a new episode every week, you can get your Doctor Who uh, fill via podcast. 
But uh, let me thank my guests for being here and talking Doctor Who with me for the last hour and a half or so. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Gene McDonald, thanks so much. Thanks. It was great. David J. Lore, thank you. Where there's tears, there's hope, Jason. Oh, oh, you're going <laughs> to make, te- make me tear up. And Alyssa Frankie, thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will see you next week. Bye.